During this holiday season, we're using our favorite Christmas hymns as a springboard into some important themes of Advent and going straight to the Bible to rejoice in the reality that Jesus has come and He is coming again. Let heaven and nature sing. These are the songs of Advent, and we are Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Now, we've been going through uh, Christmas carols, the themes of specific Christmas carols throughout this sermon series for Advent. Today's uh, Christmas carol that we're going to kind of springboard off of is the one we sang first, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. We started with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, then uh, What Child Is This, and then last week, what was last week? The Herald Angels thing. See, I just make sure you're paying attention. Of course I knew. Of course I knew. I, I obviously knew. God Rest You Merry Gentlemen is probably the one we know the least about. It's very, uh, the history of that hymn is it's not super well known. It is an 18th century hymn, if that matters to you. It originally appeared as four stanzas. The hymn was four stanzas in its first form, but because it's like open source, because nobody knows who wrote it. It's had a lot of different, so actually, depending on what church you go to, you don't necessarily know what stanzas you're going to end up singing in a, in a gathering. In its first writing, though, two of the stanzas, the first and the third, focused on the theme that we're going to focus on today. Of course, we're very familiar that the first stanza tends to be the same everywhere you go. About a call to gentlemen and, and ladies as well. Don't feel left out by the song. I'm going to blame the author for that. Find rest. Don't dismay. The third stanza says, fear not. Let nothing you affright. Let nothing cause you fear. And in both of those stanzas, the reason why you can be without fear, the reason why you can cannot uh, be dismayed is because Jesus is here. And He has set us free from Satan's power and might. That refrain comes back in the original third stanza just like it is in the first stanza. And so today, that's the theme we want to to look at. Last week we saw the power of Satan was wrapped up in the power of both sin and death. We looked in particular at death, the fact that there is a promise of physical resurrection from the dead for the children of God. that, that, That the advent of Jesus means nothing without Easter, but because the advent of Jesus includes Christmas and Easter, we have hope beyond the grave. And so we saw last week, verses. this was the crescendo, verses 54 through 57 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When the perishable, this is, we, some people will call this the second advent, because advent means coming. Jesus is coming again. He will arrive again. So the second advent, when For us, the perishable, these perishable bodies put on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? What we see in verse 56 is that the sting of death is sin. That death and sin are so intricately tied together that they go hand in hand, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So last week, freedom from death, 
This week, freedom from sin. They go together. This week we'll focus on the second. What I want us to see today is that with the advent of Jesus came freedom from the power of sin. And in a very Ebenezer Scrooge way, but he didn't think of it first, past, present, and future power of sin. We find freedom in the advent of Jesus from the power of sin, so might we, the true children of God, find rest in this reality today. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. What I want us to see quickly, and, and we've focused a lot on this aspect of, of Advent. We, actually, it's, this theme has made its way into all of the first three sermons. So we're just going to kind of oh, just gloss over it today, but it matters to the, to the point we're driving at. Is that we live between the Advents. We live between the first advent of Jesus and the second advent of Jesus. And with that comes this idea that there is both past and future freedom from sin. What I want to focus us on today is our present freedom from sin. For us to truly grasp that, we we have to recognize that we have past and future freedom from sin. Past freedom, Jesus in the past, saved us from the punishment of sin. Isaiah in his prophecy about Jesus, which he writes as if it's already happened, which is the beauty of a lot of Isaiah's writing. He is so confident in what's to come, even though we don't know how much detail he actually knew, except that God inspired him to write these words as if they'd already happened. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We looked at that last week. That's the curse of Adam. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, by one man sin comes into the world, and death by sin, and death passes upon all people, for all have have sinned. All we like sheep, every one of us has gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And, And the prophet Isaiah goes on in verse 11 to say, out of the anguish of his soul, out of the anguish of what Jesus experiences, experience, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. So he bears our sin and he makes us righteous. He shall bear their iniquities, therefore I shall divide him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's in the past. That's happened in the past. Peter, sorry, Romans, Paul in the book of Romans, sums it up too like this. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified, and this is that theological term, that doctrinal term for salvation that has been accomplished by Jesus in the past. You've been justified. You've been made righteous before God. You've received, you've been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. We are justified by the past work 
of Jesus. Again, so that's freedom from the sin, from sin in, in the past. But what you also see in, as Paul writes this in chapter 5 is he points to our freedom from sin in the, the future as, as well. You read verse 10 again, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God in the past by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be future saved by his life. You see, we don't just have freedom from past sins. We have freedom in the future from the presence of sin. We saw this last week too, and that's why I'm just going to read it for us again, just so we can hear it. John, the apostle, writes in Revelation a picture of future freedom from sin. That we're not just free, made right before God, justified before Him, freed from the punishment of sin, but one day we will be freed from the presence of sin, the actual presence and effects of sin. Revelation 21, John says, Then I saw the new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the Sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And and get this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more crying. And death shall be no more. Death is gone forever. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. That's future freedom from sin and all of its effects upon this earth. All right? So that's what I want us to see before we jump into our present day freedom from sin. We have passed freedom from sin, that you are set free already from the punishment of sin through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And then on that day, that future day, you will experience complete and utter freedom from all the effects of sin forever. That's our story. That's our past story. That's our future story. But what about today? What about the in-between? What about the effects of sin on my life today? What about the effects of sin on your life today? Well, good news. Jesus is today saving you from the power of sin, from the power of Satan, from the power of death today. Romans chapter 6 is is where we'll go to to see this. Paul's writing to the church at Rome. He's starting in verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound. Now, out of context, it seems like a really weird question. So back up two verses. Always, if you're kind of confused, if you're ever confused about what the Bible's saying, one good tip is to back up a little bit, try to read a little bit of the context, see if maybe that's going to help to set you up, right? Reads like a book. If you go back to to verses 20 and 21 of chapter 5, he says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. No time to exegete all of this. He's just pointing back to when Moses... Found the, brought down the law and gave it to the people, all of a sudden it became even more obvious we don't have what it takes to be with God. We're kind of we're screwed on this one. Look at us. We're terrible. And the law shows us even more so that we're terrible. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, 
grace abounded all the more. We couldn't out the grace of God. How beautiful is that? So that as sin reigned in death, grace, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul can almost hear somebody raising their hand and saying, well, if, if all our sin makes Jesus' grace look even better, then why don't I just contribute to the beauty of His grace by sinning all I want to, right? Let's just go have a good old time. And in our sinfulness, grace will look better. That's why he asked that question in verse 6. What what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He doesn't entertain it any longer than that. He says in verse 2, by no means. Then he asks a question. This is our question for today. How can he, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who are dead to sin still live in it? And with that intro, Paul is about to do what he so often does in Scripture. He's about to take us to what we should do, how we should act, but he doesn't take us to how we should act without reminding us of who we are. Identity proceeds action. Right? Like, we don't earn our identity. That's not how the gospel works. Jesus dies on the cross and makes it possible for us to be brought into a right relationship with God. And in Christ, we gain our identity. And only from that place does action spill out. And so he spells out our identity in verses 3 through 10. They tell us who we are as Christians. This is your identity today if you're a child of God. Starting in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We are dead to sin. We are raised to walk in newness of life. He keeps elaborating further. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again, Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now there's a lot there. But I want us to see the basic point. His flow of argument is this. If you are a Christian, you have been baptized into Christ. For many of us, that is both metaphysical baptism and physical baptism. Metaphysically, supernaturally, you have been baptized into Christ by grace through faith and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And we have received what the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are owned by Christ now. He's all through you. You've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You got God all over you. You got Jesus all over you. You're submerged in Christ. You've been baptized into Christ, but not only that, but physically, as obedient Christians in faith, we step into the actual waters of 
baptism, and in that we proclaim to the world, I follow Jesus. This is what my life is all about now. My faith has led me into the water. That that sign of my faith is seen in that baptism, that my faith is in Christ, and therefore I am covered in Christ, shot through with Christ. Everything about me is Christ. And with entering into your shared relationship with Jesus, there are two massive realities that become yours that he points to in this passage. One, we're dead to sin. Two, we're alive to God. You've been changed. Jesus' death rendered the enslaving power of sin ruined. Now, hear me emphasize the word enslaving. Do you still struggle with sin? Do I still struggle with sin? Yes. Does sin still have power? Yes. Does it have enslaving power over the children of God? It absolutely does not. Hear me today. We don't talk about this enough. Child of God, you do not have to sin. You don't have to sin. Now, I'm not saying that you won't still sin. What I'm saying is you don't have to sin, right? Like, we make so many excuses. We, me included. We make so many excuses about our sin. But hear me. It's not just your personality, man. Right? Like, it's it's not. You've been changed. It's not just hereditary, right? Like, my dad or mom acted that way, so, right? It's not just that. I'm not trivializing those things. Your personality matters. You, better, you can do deep work in family history. Those are important things, but they're not ultimate excuses. They're worthy considerations to do the hard work of, of nature and nurture and how you were brought up, and, and, right? But ultimately, it's not just how you're wired. It's not an ultimate excuse. You're not just having a bad day, right? You've been made new in Christ. Your identity has changed. You don't have to to sin. We don't talk about this enough. We don't, but literally, and, and I wish I believed it more. I wish we believed it more. Literally, you have the power in Jesus to live seasons of your life free, victorious over sin. Have days of your life that are marked by Holy Spirit control. Weeks of your life that are marked by by just doing obedience to God over and over and over again. You have that power in you, Christian. We're not enslaved to sin anymore. And the flip side of the same coin is that we are alive to God. Newness of life. I love sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We've been made new. We've not been upgraded. We've been made new. I don't know if you remember when the iPhone uh, got the new charging cable. Right? There was this funny video that came out, like mocking the, the Apple, whatever they call that day when they announce everything. Because really what they gave us that year in the new iPhone was, was no real new technology. All they gave us was the need to throw away our old charging cables and get new ones, right? Because they 
Changed the charging port. Was an upgrade. Wasn't a transformation. They didn't make the iPhone new. They just upgraded it a little bit. In some years, that's what those Apple presentations are like. Like, You know, you're making it sound really great, but you're not really giving us anything new. Just kind of upgrading some things. That's not your story. In Christ, you've not just been upgraded a little bit, right? You've been made new. You've been kainos katisis. That's the Greek for something that was one way and now is completely unrecognizable in comparison to what it used to be. A new creation. You've been broken down to all your essential parts and then represented in Christ as this, who's that person? What? That's Paul Bukel? No. That guy was a jerk, right? I couldn't stand to be around that guy. He loves people now. What? That's the guy that screamed at his kids. He doesn't do that anymore, right? Like, like change, transformation, made new. I still scream at my kids sometimes. Tra- changed, transformed, made new. Previously unknown creations, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, we've been broken down to the essential parts of who we are and rebuilt in unrecognizable comparison to our old self. This is who you are, Christian. New creation, free people, alive people. Identity before action, but there's still action, and this is our application. We're almost there we got to do something. Paul's going to call us to, to do something. Not in our own energy and strength, but as a wellspring of the work that Jesus has done in us. So grace has transformed us. Grace has made us new. Grace has made a new creation, an unrecognizable to the former self-creation out of every single one of us. So then, how do we act? Well, first we think different. Verse 11 of chapter 6. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Starts with honest ownership. Knowing, right, like who we were before and who we are now. That consideration. And then thinking through it this way. Where are you still living? Where am I still living? As if you're a slave to sin. Are there areas in your life, even today, where even though you've been set free from the power of sin, there's that illustration, I think it's maybe in Pilgrim's Progress, where there's that guy that that he comes along on his journey who's sitting in that prison cell, like his fingernails are super long, his beard, and he goes over to talk to him, and when he does, he leans on the prison door, and it's just wide open, it's always been open. There's no chains on him, but he's still living in the prison cell as if he's still enslaved. So if he's still a prisoner, we live like that. I live like that as slaves to sin. Where in your life right now are you still living as a slave to sin? We've got to honestly own that. We've got to honestly think about that. It continues with holistic faith. We have to believe what God says about who we are. You have to believe it. So change the way you think. Don't think of your sin from a victim standpoint. Think of your sin as out of step with who you are now. That's not who I am. God's made me different. 
I believe in faith the promises of God from the first advent, the promises that are still to come in the second advent, and I know this isn't who I'm supposed to be. Take ownership of that. Second, act different. So think different, act different. These are our last verses. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is what Advent is all about. When Jesus draws near to people, even in our sin, it changes us. You need to look no further than the characters of Advent. Look at Mary, right? Young lady, in her teens most likely. How does she respond? You're going to carry God in your belly, and it's going to come with, because she's not dumb, it's going to come with a lot of social problems for you, right? When they realize that it didn't come from your husband, this baby ain't from your husband, right? That's going to create some buzz, and it ain't the kind you want. She says, let it be according to your will. Humble participation. Look at Joseph, a man of integrity, right? When Jesus draws near to him and says, hey, by the way, your wife, her story's true. That baby in her really is from God. He knows what weight's going to follow him around his whole life too. And he, in integrity, walks after Christ. Look at the shepherds. How do they respond? They proclaim the news to everyone that the Messiah is here. When Jesus draws near to us in Advent, changes us. The primary way we mess this up, though, is thinking we got to do it on our own. Thinking we can do it on our own, that, that I can stop sinning in my own power, that you can stop sinning in your own power. You can't. If you figured it out yet, pay attention. You, you're not, it ain't going to happen. Only through the power of another. It's only the presence of Jesus that pulls this off. So get close to Him authentically. And when you do, hear me say this, He doesn't pull back from you. When you come to Jesus all messed up, broken, busted, weird, sinful. He says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's hard to believe that today because as good as some of the people in your life might be, none of us welcome each other that perfectly. None of us. We give the side eye to people. We might act nice, but in our hearts we're bitter that they did that to me. Jesus doesn't have a single ounce of that in him. In your sin, he moves to you in love, 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 forgiveness, mercy, welcome. See the face of the person who loves you the most and multiply it by infinity. That's how God looks at you, even in your sin. And when God draws near to us, even though we're busted and broken, it changes us. That's the point Paul is making. From that place, as God pulls near to you, even in your sin, and whispers, hey, remember who you are because of what Jesus did. 
Remember my promises of the second advent. I've got you. I love you. I ain't going nowhere. When he does that, from that place, we respond in that obedience. Verse 2 again. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If you're not a Christian, here's what you need to hear. John 3, 17. Comes right after that super famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And verse 17 is so beautiful. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's what God wants for you today. Even though you're a sinner, just like me. Just like me. Even though you're separated from intimacy with God by your sin, that's the curse all through this book. God says, through the finished work of my son on the cross, I don't want to condemn you. Instead, I want to give you everlasting life with me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. If you have any questions about what that means, I'd love to talk to you about it. For us that are Christians, let's live like free people. You don't have to sin. The holiday is going to be chock full of opportunities to sin. Some of them fun. Some of them angry. Some of them frustrated as your expectations are left unmet. We're free people, baby. We're new creations. We've been broken down to our essential parts and rebuilt new people. We have the power of God at work in us, the Holy Spirit indwelling us that we might look at sin and say, nah, that's second rate. What God has for me is infinitely better and I'll walk in that way. So take honest ownership of that. Where are you still living as a slave to sin? Anger, substance abuse, apathy to the disciplines of Scripture, prayer, greed, jealousy, bitterness, the list could go on. Where are you still living as a slave to sin? You don't have to. You don't. Free people. Believe. Believe in the first advent realities, the second advent promises, and what that does to you today changes you to a new person. And from that place, walk in humble obedience. With the advent of Jesus came freedom from the power of sin today. So might we, the true children of God, find rest in this reality as we follow Jesus in obedience. I'm going to pray, and then what we'll do, and we've been doing this now, we won't have time to do it on Christmas Eve, so it's going to be the last moment of this year that you're going to get to sit with the people of God in the house of God, and we take 120 seconds of silence. Now, that's a joke, as you already know, because there'll be noises, <laughs> if not from nothing else from that room next to us. This is an opportunity, 120 seconds, for you to be silent before the Lord We put questions up on the screen that you can think of. They're also on the back of your worship guide. Don't waste this 120 seconds of silence before God. Whatever you need to deal with, deal with it. Then we'll celebrate communion together and joy at what we have in Jesus.
Father, thank you so much that you are a minister of mercy through the finished work of your son Jesus on the cross. That right now in this moment, we can bring you our sin and you don't shrink back (laughs) opposite. You move towards us. So we don't have to think about our sin like we think about it with other people. Oh, I can't tell them. I can't be honest about it. They won't love me anymore. They'll they'll pull back away. You're, You're the opposite. We can be honest with you today. So might we be honest with you and then might in that moment of our honesty, of our authenticity, of our vulnerability before you, might you meet us with your grace, meet us with your love, meet us with the joy of Advent. Jesus draws near, changes us. We be changed people who walk in obedience by your good grace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.